welcome to Wind Up Weekly. I'm Matthew Gone. And I'm Katie Canfield. And we're here to share the week's news in wine. This week on Wind Up Weekly. In coronavirus news, Napa Restaurant controversially reopens, then closes, as California partially moves out of lockdown. Hong Kong eases restrictions. Tequila sales and ready-to-drink beverages soar in the U.S. And in other news, Treasury Wine Estates sued by their own shareholders. Constellation Brands increase their stake in Cannabis Company. In California, man arrested for drinking wine direct from a tanker. And as ever, our Wine of the Week. Now we enter the next stage of coronavirus news as we move from lockdown to uh, some communities starting to open up their doors. So in Napa, a long-standing restaurant, Fume, opened its doors earlier this week, becoming the first restaurant in the area to allow customers to dine inside. Owner Terry Letson argued that it is impossible to stay in business if the restaurant remains closed, so he resumed service despite statewide restrictions ordering the closure of bars and restaurants. He followed social distancing protocol in having the restaurant's capacity, removing tables to ensure appropriate distance between guests. The temperature of staff was also checked before they started their shifts. But not surprisingly, the restaurant remained open for just two nights before being forced to close by Napa County. Elsewhere, restaurants in remote Modoc County in California reopened as there have been no reported cases of coronavirus in the county. Sutter and Yuba counties followed suit, which led to Governor Gavin Newsom issuing warnings to the three counties that they could face losing out on coronavirus cash for reopening too early. This reflects tension across the USA, with federal, state, and county responses not always consistent. Here in Sonoma County, shops have begun to reopen, allowing limited numbers of customers inside who have to wear face masks, but bars and restaurants, except for curbside pickups, are still closed. Unfortunately, we saw yesterday that one of our favorite cocktail bars in Petaluma, Whisper Sisters, has been closed for good, and no doubt a sign of things to come. Very sad to see that. Uh, They had been doing uh, cocktails to go and um, some food to go. Provisions, yes, because part of the licensing is that you had to order food along with the cocktail. They couldn't do only cocktails to go. But obviously not enough custom to uh, keep them going. So very sad. Uh, It's actually the first place in Petaluma I've seen announced that it's closed down. But we'll see um, how things develop there. Moving away from the United States, in Hong Kong, restrictions were eased with bars and restaurants able to reopen after a two-week lockdown. They have to operate at half their capacity, with groups limited to four people. In the UK, Boris Johnson has announced a new slogan, Stay Alert, to replace Stay at Home, which was met with some confusion, no one really sure exactly what it means, but there is a five-phase plan to move on from the crisis. But pubs have not been included in this plan, which worries an industry that is struggling to cope and needs a timeline to help them plan for the future. Yes, a a lot of organizations, uh, government, and uh, what I've noticed locally in California is our regional associations uh, offering these uh, phased-out plans for businesses to reopen. I know that Napa Valley Vintners uh, have done a lot of good work, uh, as well as California Wine Institute, in giving their winery members uh, sort of a step-by-step protocol of how to make this successful as they start opening their doors to customers. We've also seen this in football, different federations across Europe unveiling four or five stage plans to to get the season back going. Germany is set to open up this weekend, which is very exciting. 
and I have chosen my German football team that I am going to follow. So this means they're going to be playing matches, but no one will be in the stadium, right? Exactly, behind closed doors, which is going to be really, really weird. And you did say something about, um, I think the fans could opt in to buy a cardboard cutout of themselves to have in the stadium. That's what I heard, and I haven't heard anything more since then, but apparently like that 6,000 fans have put in orders for these cardboard cutouts. Uh, so we'll see if we actually uh, see them in the stadium on Saturday when the season gets going again. And my team, by the way, since you don't ask, is Borussia Mönchengladbach, one of the best names ever. And back to the drinks business. The pod has been reporting on how sales of wine, beer, and spirits have been on the rise during the crisis, although, of course, focused on off-premise and online sales, which have increased fivefold, part of the challenging readjustment the drinks industry faces. More data was released this week tracking those sales. Sales of spirits are growing faster than wine or beer, up by 33% in the USA, compared to 29% for wine and 12% for beer in March and April. Tequila has benefited in particular with a 55% increase and a 69% increase last week in the lead up to Cinco de Mayo. Another drink which continues its meteoric rise is hard seltzer, which has seen a 324% rise compared to this time last year, when it was still relatively unknown. 77 million U.S. dollars worth of hard seltzer was sold the week ending April 25th, compared to 38 million U.S. dollars in the buildup to the Super Bowl in February. Hard seltzer now accounts for 8.5% of the market. So it's a strange world out there, isn't it, Katie? Yes, but seltzer still seems to be the go-to. Yeah, continuing the trend. But uh, people obviously drinking more at home than they used to, not being able to go out. Uh, We'll have to see what happens when they are allowed out, whether they continue to drink at home or not. Hopefully they're not drinking too much at home, and that is uh, in moderation. Well, it certainly seems the Cinco de Mayo festivities didn't take a hit, despite not being able to commune and celebrate together. I guess people just had some nice parties at home. With their margaritas, I imagine. Yes, well, maybe we'll continue to do this in the future. There will be celebrations to be had just in more private environments. Yeah, no social gatherings for a while. And now, on with the news. Challenging times for Treasury Wine Estates, as they face two lawsuits from their own shareholders. The shareholders claim that Treasury's management hasn't been open with them about the nature of Treasury's business over the course of the last 18 months, causing the shareholders to lose money. In January, without warning, Treasury revised its growth forecast for 2019-2020 from 15 to 20% to 5 to 10%, which caused shares in the company to lose 25% of their value the morning after the announcement. The decreased forecast was due to lower than expected returns in the US. A lawyer representing one of the class actions says that Treasury had known about the company's poor performance in the US for some time, but hadn't disclosed the information to shareholders. Another lawyer representing the other lawsuit said investors are entitled to be informed about the health of the companies they are investing in. All sounds a bit messy for Treasury, doesn't it, Katie? Well, it does. It Especially, you know, these forecasts were made before coronavirus. I would have thought maybe they could defend themselves in light of the current situation. But these forecasts were made in January. Uh, so growth is going to be even worse than previously predicted. And uh, Chief Executive Michael Clark is leaving in the summer. Uh, His successor is going to inherit some of these tricky problems. 
And on top of that, Treasury are planning to demerge uh, Penfolds, their leading luxury brand, to make it its own separate entity. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. It's a very un- uncertain uh, business for Treasury, as they uh, the growth isn't what they predicted, could get worse, and why they're demerging Penfolds to make it its own brand, I'm not entirely sure, and I don't think other people are either. It seems an unnecessary, complicated piece of business, but maybe they have a strategy we just don't quite understand yet. Well, I'm sure they do. They're not sharing it with their shareholders, so why would they share it with us? Moving away from wine to a category that poses a potential threat to the drinks industry as a whole. You know what I'm talking about? Cannabis. Constellation brands who own major brands such as Robert Mondavi and Ravenswood have increased their stake in canopy growth now owning 38.6% of the business, with the potential to increase their stake to 55.8%. Constellation first invested in Canopy Growth in October 2017, buying a 9.9% stake for the equivalent of $175 million. Since then, it's invested $4 billion in the company, and in January 2019 announced it was building a hemp extraction and manufacturing facility in New York. Bill Newlands, CEO and president of Constellation, said, While global legislation is still in its infancy, we continue to believe the long-term opportunity in this evolving market is substantial. However, it hasn't been smooth sailing. Share prices in canopy growth have fallen, while Constellation had to postpone the launch of a line of cannabis drinks, as they couldn't make enough of it to be commercially viable. Constellation have been putting a lot of money into cannabis, as um, we see here, while shedding a lot of their wine brands, which might seem to be a reflection of current trends. And the consensus is that cannabis is an industry definitely worth investing in. At the same time, it perhaps hasn't grown as much or as quickly as expected. It may be that having a small, slow but but strategic growth makes more sense for that industry than a big company pumping money in, hoping for quick, big returns. Legalised cannabis is still a new category, and one which both producers and consumers are still figuring out. The question, of course, Katie, is, does cannabis provide a threat to wine, or is it just a completely different product? Well, what I would dearly like to know is, are the stats about cannabis uh, since coronavirus hit and the shelter-in-place orders have been in place? Because, you know, we've obviously monitored what's happening in the drinks business, but I'd be interested to know what's happening with cannabis. Well, it can be delivered, can't it, here in California and other states where it's legal. And curbside pickup, etc. So maybe the same trend, but have we seen the same growth? I don't know. Well, we'll have to do our research and report back in the next pod. Um, But to answer your question, I would say, you know, I think they are two separate categories and I think there are two separate uh, consumers. And I think those who, you know, choose cannabis over alcoholic beverages will do so anyway. And now that it's legalized, I don't really think that will eat into the consumer that buys wine, beer and spirits. Um, But I think they will run parallel together. But maybe I'm wrong. I haven't seen any figures, but I agree with your general impression. I think uh, people who are taking advantage of legalized cannabis are the same people who were taking advantage of illegal cannabis before. So I don't think the market has necessarily expanded. There's obviously um, some money to be made in it as it becomes an actual kind of institutionalized business. And um, I agree that it isn't necessarily a competition uh, for wine. 
But um, it is a difficulty with labour shortage because um, there's quite a bit of money uh, to be made in picking cannabis over picking grapes. But again, that's a trend that may change depending on sales of cannabis and how expensive um, it is. Well, and that goes for plantings as well, because I know, you know, a lot of farmers might decide that cannabis is the more profitable business and instead, you know, lend their land to planting pot versus planting grapevines. So we'll see how that turns out, but that'll be um, more into the future when we'll see those results. Just thinking here in Sonoma County, a lot of the land used to be planted to apples uh, for orchards, and then grape growing became more profitable so that the vines replaced apple trees. So these trends do change according to how much money is to be made. We have to say this story is the most bizarre the pod has reported on so far. In Modesto, California, the heart of Central Valley where Gallo are based, a man was arrested for drinking wine directly from a tanker while the tanker was driving down Highway 99. The driver of the tanker was going down the 99 when he saw a man in a car gesticulating to him to pull over. The driver did so, but became alarmed when the man got out of the car and started frantically running towards the tanker. The driver immediately drove away, but became concerned when he saw on his gauges that the tanker was losing wine. So he pulled over again and found the man, called Gabriel Moreno, and aged 39, underneath the tanker drinking wine that was pouring out. A video shows him climbing under the tanker just as it was moving away. In all, more than 3,700 liters of wine was lost. Moreno has been charged with vandalism and driving on a suspended license. I assume he didn't drink all 3,700 litres of wine. This story really intrigues me. Like, what would inspire someone to do this? I can kind of understand going to a winery and trying to sneak some wine away or cheekily drink from a tank, but actually going to a moving tanker, getting underneath it, and drinking the wine as it's pouring out of the tanker. It's an incredible mindset to go to that level of uh, stuntsmanship. Well, my question is, while you were uh, reading this article and summarizing it, you looked at me and you asked, uh, what is a snow angel? So I'm wondering, where does that fit into this story? Well, I asked you because um, the police officer said, imagine him doing a snow angel as he was drinking the wine. So I said, what on earth is a snow angel? And so you explained it to me and it made perfect sense. So for all of our listeners who don't know what a snow angel is, you'll just have to look it up. It's difficult to describe. And now for our wine of the week, which is Katie. La Rioja Alta Viña Ardanza, 2010. And what a wine this is. Absolutely Mm. fantastic. Always a go-to, always a favourite. Classic Rioja, old-fashioned, old-school, but really, really high quality. Great for blind tastings because this is everything that Rioja is and should be. And this happened, we weren't really planning on opening this bottle, but we had a Zoom chat with a good friend, Sophia Luckett of The Drink Talkin'. And she is located near Leeds in the UK. And we haven't seen her in quite some time. We were supposed to go to the UK in April last month, but obviously that all got uh, waylaid. So we decided to open a bottle since we happened to have a Rioja Alta wine because she was drinking one on the other end uh, late at night. It was midday for us. So we weren't really expecting to open a bottle, but 
but we did and very happy we did so great to be able to drink um the same producer with a good friend of ours across the atlantic it's a lot of fun just to be feeling that we're drinking something very similar as if we're together in person uh, so this, uh, as I mentioned, is classic Rioja. It's 80% Tempranillo and 20% Garnacha. So a very uh, typical blend. The Tempranillo comes from two vineyards in Rioja Alta. And so La Rioja Alta themselves um, are the producer. They're based in Aro, going back to the late 1800s. But it's also the name of one of the regions of Rioja, La Rioja Alta. And um, that's where they're getting their Tempranillo from. And then the Garnacha is coming from a vineyard in what used to be called Rioja Baca, but is now called Rioja Oriental, although their tech sheet still says Rioja Baca. But a lot of uh, producers are now using Rioja Oriental because it seems more sophisticated, mm. apparently. Mm. I think it's a bit of an unnecessary change, but there you go. And they've been making Vina Ardanza since 1942, so a really historic style of wine. And it's a reserva. And so although the uh, technical rules for a reserva one year in oak and two years in bottle this is aged for longer the tempranillo is in american oak for 36 months and the garnacha for 30 months before release and then it was released five years after the vintage in 2015 and this is still the latest vintage of vina ardanza well rightfully so i think i i to me anyway it seemed like it was perfectly ready for drinking i know that it will age for another 10 years at least um but open you know, enjoying it now, uh, still had super bright red fruits and really nice acidity and beautiful texture. So everything you want in a good Rioja. Yeah. And you can tell it's been aged in American oak. There's that kind of coconut dill um, aroma profile to it, but very well integrated. It's uh, used American oak, so it's not uh, too aggressive, but it, again, that classic Rioja style. I absolutely love this wine. And even at in the early afternoon on a warm Monday in California, it's still so fresh. And it reminded me of being in Spain, where you drink red wine even when it's baking hot. Because you have a theory about this, don't you? About the temperature of red wine and body temperature. Yes, I have heard, and I cannot state the source. But I will say from experience, is if you're drinking something like that on a hot day outside, right? You're, you're hot outside, you're, your skin feels hot. If you consume something warm, uh, it could be warm water, it could be, you know, a red wine that gives that kind of warming sensation inside, then you actually feel the outside sensors feel cooler. So, I mean, it's just a, a thought, but I think it's true. And I see, you know, living in Spain, you notice it's very warm there in the summer months, but people still drink red wine. It doesn't mean that in summertime, all they're drinking is rosé and white wine by no means. You still have your red wine and you have your chorizo and olives and it's a beautiful thing. And of course, the reverse is true in, in winter. There's no reason not to drink white wine or rosé. They can work very well too. And of course, we weren't serving this red wine baking hot. It's still that 16 to 18 degrees C, old-fashioned room temperature. But just that nice fall warming sensation went very well sitting in the shade outside in the, the warm weather. So a delightful drink and one that... Even though I've tried Vigna Ardanza many times before, this really impressed me. 2010 is an excellent vintage in Rioja, and this is evidence of that fact. And it also might have been made all the better because we were enjoying it in very good company. Cheers to that! So that's it for Wind Up Weekly this week. I'm Katie Canfield. I'm Matthew Gorn. Join us next week for another Wind Up. And in the meantime, 
we ask that you please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, that helps other listeners searching for the news in wine to find us. Especially if the reviews are positive. That's right. See you next week. Cheerio! Cheerio!